Episode 2, Tales from the Third Team. Get to chop it up with my man Tyree Kirkland. It was right after one of our flag football classes that I taught and he's attending. Uh, We talk about, uh, I guess, the behind the scenes of refereeing, the political part of the game. And uh, we have a a little wide-ranging conversation about um, books that we've read, things that have helped us and shaped the way we treat officiating, and how we kind of treat it the same way we do in the game of life. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Tyree Kirkland. Welcome to another edition of Tales from the Thirteen. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref from The Ramp. I'm with a special guest from former podcast, episode 119, and I believe episode 160, Mr. Tyree Kirkland. How are you, my, my friend? Ralph, what's going on, brother? So, first of all, I want to congratulate you on all your success that you've had in the officiating journey. Um, I think that you have had a special, a special process uh, because, you know, once I found out I got a little involved... Um, and we always say that the mentor is always driven by the mentee. Mm-hmm. You're somebody that has always been perceptive of learning, even with, outside of me. Yeah. That's something that you possess within yourself. So, you know, I'm really happy of your all your success because it's all been you. It's not been any, you can't give anybody else credit but yourself because I that's something that you that. want. Um, nonetheless, welcome to the show. Yo, thanks. First of all, I appreciate that, brother. And thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So... This obviously is a little different, and this is more of like an anecdotal podcast. Uh, it's not going to be so much about your story, but it's going to have elements of, of it. Um, one thing that I wanted to t- uh, talk about in this particular podcast is the political aspect of refereeing, something that's seldomly talked about because there's a couple of things that we always talk about on the rant. How'd you get to here? How'd you get there? How'd you, how'd you get your mechanics up? How did you get the rules up? How did you get all that? But then... There's something that me and you like to play because this is something that's non-negotiable. It's a required act, this political game. Now, whether you hate it, whether you love it, there's always going to be a hierarchy in this game. And you have to figure out how to navigate that. And I think if somebody's trying to navigate waters where they don't want to swim, they're not going to be as successful as somebody going. Understanding in real time, not only do I have to navigate this, I have to learn how to figure out how I can make this downstream so I can make this faster. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that you learned early on. So let's set the scene. I think I reconnected with you, I want to say January 2019. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling you about Referee Ran and all this stuff. Before that, I know you were running with Rashad. He told you about the, and you talked about this on mm-hmm. your podcast. And you took the 119 class and you were realizing, I think early on, like, oh, this is a brotherhood. This is something that people right. take real serious. Right, right, and you right. talked about that on your podcast. When did you start realizing the political aspect of it? I would say uh, early on. I would say <laughs> <laughs> a good a month or two in. You know, my thing is once again, I do love the brotherhood of this. You know what I mean? I do. For the most part, um, everyone is uh, very helpful. Um, you know, I've, I've met a, a, a ton of good guys uh, refing. Um, I've had a lot of fun. Made a lot of great contacts, but like you said, there is a political element, in it. and and um, I learned that uh, very, very early on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
you know, not everyone looks. See, this is the thing. You know, this is uh, the whole the whole referee world. It's just a direct reflection of what's happening outside. You know, in the real world, and in the real world, you have uh, you have givers and you have takers. Um, it's just magnified within, you know, this whole uh, referee world. Mm-hmm. And you know, you could identify quickly. Just I guess if you're a perceptive person who's a leader, who's a person of influence, who's mm-hmm. a person that um, is kind of selfish in in their intent, I think. At the general, once you strip everything down, I think everybody is still looking for a good person, a person that's authentic to themselves, somebody that has good intentions, somebody that's not trying to one-up somebody. I think that's always going to be a ground-rooted foundation of being successful in anything in life. Would you agree with that? 100%. I mean, we've spoken about that uh, several times, you know, and uh, it just all boils down to are you a person that's adding value or taking away? Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like anyone and everyone that's adding value or goes into the world wanting to add value to a situation or a person is always going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Now, once you quickly identified that it was a political thing, what from your past, what from, you know, historical, maybe books that you've read or conversations that you've had before that you had outside of officiating, what did you apply to the officiating game once you found out that there was levels to this and that you had to navigate certain waters? Oh, I mean, there's an array of books. You know, that's 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 something that we share. We love to read. Um, so I can I can name several books. Um, it's funny though when we were when we first started speaking about the the political aspect of uh, of refing. I just told you I just finished up a, a, a pretty a pretty good book called uh, The Go Giver, and um, the premise of the book is really uh, just about adding value adding value to any situation that you're a part of and how, you know, once you do that, you you influence any and everything around you and the energy will come back to you. So, you know, um, I would say that's a really good book to, to read and, and, uh, and it kind of, it kind of sums up how you need to be not only in the, in the world, but, um, within the ref world. But, you know, the thing about it is just in real life, you're constantly playing chess. You know, I think within the ref world, you have to play chess as well. Mm. Now, I did I did make um, a list of 22 rules of refereeing. I think mm. I'm up to, like, number 17. I still got to finish it. I will. It's in right. my mind. Right. Uh, but, you know, I did that more so of not really, like, let's go in the mirror. Let's try to figure out how we could get better with the rules. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's some elements into that. But, you know, those intangible things, I think, is what pe- put people over the over the top when it comes to this refereeing game. Um and then one thing that I, we talked about is, um, you know, something that you've mentioned and you phrased it in such a perfect way was um, when we were talking about time. Um, and I guess to just make this as an example, sometimes in this game, some people think that you have to have 14, 15 years in order for you to get to a certain spot. But what are those quality of years? You know, somebody might be only in this for two years. However, each game they treat like it's eight games, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes they might have the degree of difficulty of a game might be tantamount to somebody doing one hard game where somebody's doing one, one game that's even harder than that, that equals 16 hard games to somebody else. So when you talk about that, and then there's another weird aspect in this game where people that are new are really older and people that are young are the veterans in the game. So you can't really discern until you start seeing somebody referee and what it, it, it could be any sport. Once you start seeing them and how they perform in the court, you go, oh, they're new. And it's it's hard to discern that because 
somebody might look older. Right. Sometimes maybe everyone's out of the nest and now they decided to officiate because there's nobody else to coach. Or you have somebody young who has gotten pushed because their father was refing right. and they told them to start doing it because they wish they started earlier and now they're doing it. Right. Um, is that something that you also quickly identified in the beginning? Oh, definitely. I mean, just in my class, you know, the age range was, uh, I think the youngest guy was 17 and the oldest guy was in his 50s. Mm -hmm. You know, this is in one class. So we're all new reps, but the, the range of age is, you know, you had almost a 40-year, uh, a 30, 40-year uh, uh, year range between mm -hmm. the youngest and the oldest guy. Right. Um, so one thing I did want to ask you is that let's say somebody is very resistant towards the political aspect of it. Like, oh, I don't want to get involved in that. And they see themselves not really moving up. What kind of advice do you think you would give them? And that's a very difficult question, I think. Mm. I would like to see if you could answer that, though. I mean, I, I think, again, you know, with, with any type of success, I think that there's a political aspect to it. You know, and that's not just being a ref. That's just in life in general. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're maneuvering through the world, there, there's always uh, uh, politics in, involved, and um, so if a person is saying, hey, "I want to be a ref," but I just don't, I just don't want to be involved in the politics. I mean, you'll just be a ref. I don't know how successful you'll be, but you will just be a ref. Mm -hmm. Just it's just like anything else, you know. Um, if you if you want to be successful, you have to. There's a whole social aspect of it, and I think, you know, we're we're naming it politics, but realistically, it's just dealing with people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think if this is a, a competitive space where people should be teammates and they they have opposing um, and and also similar goals, we're always going to bump heads, right? Mm. To some to some extent, I really think it, it depends on uh, your personality and how you how you uh, how you deal with people. Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, for me, you know, I get more from people by trying to make an assessment and see where I can add value, you know? So I'm not going to compete with someone. I'm going to see how I can help them because the better I make someone, the better they're going to be. And that's now contact for me, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm not trying to take away from someone, but it all depends on, you know, like I said, the person, you know, like if, for example, you're a great ref, you know, anything I can do to help you be a better ref is only going to make me better because you're now sharing your time with me. I'm, I have the ability to now pick up anything that I see you do, you mm -hmm. know what I mean, which helps my progress. Right. So why would I not try to add or ameliorate any situation that you're involved in, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, if you want to think about it from a, se a selfish perspective or aspect, I mean, that's it right there. Why not help someone so that they can help you? Right. Um, and, and this is something that I want to mention because we're both disciples of Robert Greene. We've read mm -hmm. most of his books. One mm -hmm. book that has always been a guiding light, especially like once I started reading it, was The 48 Laws of Power. Yeah. And, you know, that's a very polarizing book because what it implies is like, okay, you're doing something manipulative, right? Mm -hmm. I've read this book four times and I think it's really changed my life and not so much on the political aspect or the manipulative aspect of it, right? I think it's one of those things where not only can you apply the rules, you could also identify when something is happening to you in a very quick way, <laughs> right. right? And that happens to me all the time. Yeah. Now, I might not say it specifically as to the rule of what it is, but I really feel as though it's helped me navigate in such a more enhanced way because I kind of understand. And, you know, what's great about his books, Robert Greene specifically, is that he'll give you, and we mentioned this off air just earlier this morning about, um, 
he gives these real life examples where there's like real life consequences. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. when you go back to like our lives, it's like it's not that serious. No one's gonna die. Right. 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 When when you, he has these historical examples of what's happening, mm-hmm. it's like a life or death situation. Yeah. So you know, having said that, if you can, if you can identify one rule that you think has helped you in the game, what would it be? And I'll give you my first example. So that way you you can kind of figure out what what yours would be. Um, I would say that there was this one story, and I think the law was interaction with boldness. And they were talking about how Christopher Columbus just went up to Queen Isabel of Spain at the Mm -hmm. time in the in the late 15th century and was like, yo, give me some ships. I'm about to discover some 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 craziness in India. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yo, w- let me see your resume. So he pulls up the resume like, I don't need one. All I know is I just need these ships now and I'm going to do it for the name of, of Spain. And she was like, well, I mean, I just like this this guy's demeanor. Right. So I'm, I'm going to give him everything. And right. you think about how that is in refereeing, right? And we talk about this all the time. Of, this is one of those things where... Your first day on the job, they don't care if it's your first day on the job. Mm-hmm. They just know that you're messing up their game in real time. However, if you came out there like Christopher Columbus, like, you, des- I deserve these ships. You know, I- I'm on this court for a reason. It kind of eliminates a lot of things. So I always try to think of that, I guess subconsciously now at this point, interaction with boldness. And, you know, something that we're sharing in real time is we're taking this lacrosse class. And we talked about this before of, like, I mean, we know how to ref basketball, right? <laughs> So we're just going to apply, like, looking like that. Right, now, right, right, right. we might be wrong with the rules. Yeah. That's not going to prevent me of, of acting like an official when mm-hmm. need be. So, you know, having said that, what rule do you think really sticks out for you that has guided you in this officiating game? Well, you know, one thing that uh, uh, I got from class uh, when I was first becoming a ref was that, you know, you're not the star of the show, right? So, you know, you have some refs that... that you know, they, they get on the court or they get on the field and it's all about them, you know. They have a big ego. And instead of looking at the game and seeing how they can make the game better or make it smooth or make it enjoyable for the spectators, the players, and the coaches, it's about them and how they feel. So for me, you know, I look at it like not to say that these people are uh, boss or masters, but I look at the rule never outshine the master. Like I don't, I don't, I don't go in and try to make anyone feel bad or make them feel like they below me because I may know a rule and they don't, right? So if a coach comes to me and they say, "Oh, that's a travel," no, come, come and speak to me now, but it's a travel. You know, I interact with them in a way where they feel comfortable, and I really will explain the rule to them. You know, and people really appreciate that. So you may have some information that other people don't have because you're a ref. Mm-hmm. You actually went to class, studied these books, studied these rules, and you know them like the back of your hand. But you can't expect everyone else to know these rules. You can't expect everyone else to know what's a violation or not, right? But you have to explain things to them so that they can understand, right? So for me, it's I never want to make anyone look bad. I don't want to make anyone feel bad. I want them to understand what I know, you know? So when I go into it, you know, despite how a person may act or, you know, whatever, however, they may be very emotional, but it's my job to help them come back down to my level, mm-hmm. you know, without making them feel like they're beneath me. Right. You know, that's my job right. when I'm a ref. Right. That's how I take control over the environment that I'm in. Mm. So it would be, you know, the rule that I like to apply is never outshine the master. Mm. The other rule that I like is uh, win argument through action, mm. never, never mm. through through argument, and I think right, I think right, it right. was Michelangelo. He makes 
this sculpture. Right. And the right, person right. that commissioned him to make this particular statue was like, yo, his nose is off. Then he comes through with the chisel, kind of just lightly taps mm -hmm. it. Didn't do anything. It was like, is that better? And he was like, yeah. yeah. That looks, <laughs> now it looks like the work of art. And, you know, you think about when you're in these moments in real time, you, you, you have to navigate in real time. Like, okay, do I want to argue with this person or do I want to find a better solution? So right, right, right. I just remember uh, last week in Brooklyn, you know, somebody was just like, yo, where, you, where do you get these, where do you get these bums from? And they were talking to the commissioner who was right there. And I'm like, I'm so dis. I, this is what I said. I said I'm so disappointed in you, because I didn't say one thing that's derogatory. I'm not coming at you and yelling at you. I'm not changing my tone of voice. And here you are telling me that I'm terrible. Like I'm, I'm so hurt. I'm so hurt that you would say this. And this is a predominantly Muslim league, where we're supposed to promote peace. And here you are telling me all these things about who I am. I'm just disappointed. And he was like, Yo, get this man out of here. And the next week, he really came up to me, and he, I felt like he was going to genuflect because he was like, I'm so sorry for my behavior. And you think about that. It's like, okay, I didn't, I didn't get the effects in real time. Right. And I just think about, I could, I could have just matched his energy, and right, I could have right, just right. over-argued him and right. said, like, no, you're a bum, and mm -hmm. you can't play basketball, but mm -hmm. that's not what I chose to do in that time. Now, sometimes those other tactics are applicable depending on who you are. So, you know, that's another rule of... Um, knowing who you're dealing with. That's always a very important thing right, in this right. game. I think right? we were speaking about this earlier with uh, 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 Napoleon and uh, uh, Russia and right. how, how that whole interaction went. Right, yeah. and, and for those that don't know, we were talking about how, you know, sometimes when you're in these situations, right, the only way you can win a fight is if some the other person wants <laughs> to fight. Yeah, well, and we were talking about this in, uh, there was a point in time where Napoleon, in the world in its totality, in the late 18th century, he was basically almost to the point where he was going to conquer the world. And his his crown jewel was if he conquered Russia, mm -hmm. he basically would have been emperor of the world. So he goes into that country. And what he does is he's like, you know what? I'm just I'm just going to invade them. And then once I get that, then I'm going to be the emperor. The Russians had different ideas. They were like, all right, well, if this guy's going to come into our country and remind you, not many people understand that Russia is just nothing but farmland and Siberia. Right. Mm -hmm. So. A lot of it, it's it's a lot of fertile land that you can really build off crops and, and farm on. Um, the the Russian population decided, you know, we're just going to scorch the earth, right? So basically, Napoleon's army went from hundreds of thousands of troops to almost to the point where it was 14, 1,400 troops. Now imagine that, hundreds of thousands to 1,400 right, within like a right, month. Right. So we were, talk, we were joking about this off air. We knew Napoleon was probably like, Sacre Blue, I don't even know what they're doing. They, want to, they don't even want to fight me. They don't want to fight. What are we going to do? So you just think about that is, you know, there's one thing to, to, to out, you know, one-up somebody in an argument. And then there's another thing to not want to fight. And that's always such a great strategy in officiating because they're trying to get a fight with you. They're trying to rile you up. They're trying to get you off kilter. They're trying to get you off balance. You get them off balance by saying, you know what, I ain't going to fight you. Right. I'm yeah. not even even part of that. So, you know, having said that, is there any other rules that kind of help you color your the way you officiate? Well, I mean that that in in itself, you know, 100%. I mean, you know, as an official, it's it's our job to take control of the of, of the environment and make sure not only is this experience enjoyable, especially when we're dealing with kids, but everyone is safe. Right? So, imagine us being in a, in a situation where we're arguing with a player 
and now their emotions are, are at its highest point, and then they start arguing with another player, and then they get into an altercation, mm-hmm. right? So it's never our job to, to, to argue with these people and, and, and get them riled up to where now we don't have control over what's going on. Mm. You know, it's our job to 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 be the the uh, the voice of reason and, and be logical and be pragmatic at that moment and take control over what's going on and bring them down. Mm. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, the example you use. You know, you a, a joke, a, a small joke like that can turn a a, a, a contentious moment into a, a laughable uh, uh, moment, you know what I mean? And and I think that in itself is a skill that I use all the time, you know? You just have to make an assessment on what's going on, who you're dealing with, and, and, and in that split second, come up with something that you can now utilize to control what's going on in, in, in your environment, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think I think that, that in itself is a major skill, being a ref. And that also, not only being a ref, but in real life. You know, you have to make split decisions all the time with interacting with people to make them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and shout out to my man John Papa, who's board one nineteen member, just like we us two. Um, I think he's the most elite communicator of all. One time I saw him just getting completely yelled at. He goes right up to the person that was yelling at him as if he was going to fight him, and he went, "How's your family?" And the guy was like, "What? They're great!" And it, it just completely got him right, disarmed. Right. And that's such a skill when you could. Go right into mm-hmm. disarm a person. Oh, unreal, unreal. Mm-hmm. Is there any other books that you think that have, if any official is listening to, what do you think is a book that can enhance them? Not only in a political game, just to enhance their craft, that not necessarily wouldn't be shown as an officiating book. Mm. I think this, uh, one of the books that we read very early in our, in our, in our friendship together was uh, uh, The Outlier by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, Anyone that's that's um, taking on any profession uh, seriously should read that book. You know, it talks about the, the 10,000 10, hours and how you should apply, you know, if you do anything for that long, you're a professional. Also, how no one becomes great by accident. There's a reason that any and everyone that's great is great, you know. So I, I think that any ref or anyone that's, that's taking up anything professionally should definitely check that out, uh, The Outlier by Malcolm Gladwell. Um... I just finished the book uh, the other day, uh, The Compound Effect. It's a really good book. It just talks about, you know, um, each decision that you make in life, um, it has an effect. And whether you think it's a small effect or not, if you make this decision and it's a bad decision, it's going to lead into another decision that's another that leads into another decision that's totally going to affect your life. You know what I mean? So um, The Compound Effect is a really good book as well. Um, just off the top of my head. That that was a, that was a good example. I, I got to check this out, and we'll probably put this all on the show notes yeah, of all the yeah, books that we mentioned. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but that's interesting to see. Like, you know, we talked about this also on your podcast of just like our friendship stems from outside of officiating, where right. most of our conversations weren't even about officiating before right, we right. even started this, right, and then right. even when we were in this officiating game, we kind of color anecdotes about things that happened as an official. We just apply things that we've already been through. So I think that's yeah, why totally. it's kind of like natural. And it, and it's not even so much that we look at it as a political game. It's just more like we're comfortable with it, with it because we, we're so well prepared of like how to code switch, how to how to adapt in certain right. situations, how right. to act right. and, and not outshine certain people. And right. so, you know, I don't even know if we could say it's political, right? Because I, I don't think it's ever affected me. I just know that it's a intangible thing that exists 
and for some reason I'm I'm good at navigating it. And you probably say the same thing about yourself. Yeah, definitely. That's why I said in the in the beginning of the part. I mean, you know, we're labeling it as a uh, politics, but it's just for me. I think that it's very important in life just to have people skills and just know how to interact with different uh, an array of people and, and just different personalities and how to navigate through life properly with them. You know mm. what I mean? I I think that that is a skill that everyone needs. You know, but we're labeling it as politics, but. It's just, you know, just dealing with people and, and their and their personalities and the way that they think. That's all it is. So on a personal level, I know that your basketball season is winding down. And mm-hmm. now that you're going to undertake uh, girls lacrosse as well as baseball, um, what can we expect for Tyree Kirkland, the official, in the spring season? Oh, you just said it, Ralph. You know, I'm loading up. I'm loading up with this lacrosse thing and um, baseball. I'm really excited. We just came out of a, a flag football class as well. You know, I'm, I'm looking to add a few things, a few different uh, skills to my uh, to my portfolio, and um, I'm excited to use them. Do you think that your basketball experience will inform you of of the co- the confidence that you need in order for you to tackle these other sports? And do you think that any of these sports are going to be as difficult as what you've already experienced in basketball? I mean, you know, I think that basketball is a good place to start um, because it's such a fast sport. And you have to make decisions at a drop of a dime. Um, in these other sports, it's it's a bit slower. So, you know, starting off with basketball and, and transitioning into these other sports, it, I don't want to say it's going to be easy, but it's, I'm, I'm well prepared. And mm. as you said already, you know, in regards to um, being an official and being a ref, I already have, you know, uh, the skill set of, 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 of how to deal with people already. This just from, from, you know, my regular life and just, you know, basketball. Um, will it be easier or harder? I mean, I don't know. I think they're, they're, they're quite, they're all pretty different sports. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, I would have to actually be in the situations to, to, to know. Mm. Yeah. Now, in terms of your in-game, and we talked about this before, I think this is the last point that I want to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about sometimes if you look at the rules black and white, that might hurt you on the court, right, depending on the situation. So having said that, what do you think is your most valuable attribute when you are officiating in-game? Do you think it's the ability to adapt and diffuse situations, or do you think it's your rule knowledge and your presentation or something else? Oh, man, I, I think I, it really depends on the game. You know, like I think that's what we were talking about earlier. You know, some some games, you have to, you have to, uh, you have to have people skills, or you're gonna have a rough day. You know, and, and in some some situations, you have to know the rules, or you're gonna have a terrible day. You know, um, I think for me, my my, uh, but I think uh, you need to be able to survive as a ref is to be able to to identify which situation you're in. Right, you can't walk into a situation where, you know, uh, where people need you to to apply the rules um, in a, in a strict manner, and you're, you're you know you're joking all day. You know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. that's you know that's that you brought the wrong bag on mm-hmm. that particular day. You know what I mean? You have to go in and say, you know what, this is the type of game I'm in. These are the type of people I'm dealing with, and this is the bag that I need to bring to be able to 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 officiate this game. Mm. Now, I guess final question that I have for you, now that you are going to be dabbling in different sports, you know, obviously basketball has been your priority because mm-hmm. that's been the only sport that you've done. But now you're going to get into a situation now you're juggling 
one sport, two sport. You might be doing three in one day. You might be doing one in one day, and then the rest, you won't be doing it for a while. How do you think that's going to conflict with your schedule, and do you think you're going to make that work successfully? I mean, you know, I, I got a taste of that now. You know, um, it's just not with, with uh, uh, multiple sports, but, you know, refing in multiple leagues, um, you know, my schedule is pretty pretty uh, packed now. So it's just uh, staying on top of my schedule and, and, and making sure that I uh, close out dates and, and things of that sort. But, you know, I've had you show me how to work this, uh, work my schedule out and, Obviously, I built up my contact list to be able to, you know, maneuver the way I need to maneuver. Mm-hmm. Uh, final question that I had to you. What advice would you give to yourself if it was your first day finally passing the class? What what think, What do you think would you would give yourself advice that you didn't know otherwise? I mean, you know what? I wouldn't say I didn't know, but walking into this environment, um, I didn't think it applied. But it's you learn something new every day. You know, and you have to go into being a ref with an open mind and uh, you have to take notes, whether it's mental notes or, or you, you, you know, you write it down every single day. But, it, you know, every game you're going to see and learn something new and you have to pick it up, remember it and apply it. Mm. You know, um, I would definitely uh, tell myself that on my first day, you know, I, I, each game I go in, I go into it with that mindset and I come out of every game with a new gym. Mm. Now, this is probably breaking news to you, but we did speak about this before. Um, I did want to take the 22 rules of officiating. And I know that, you know, reading to me is a lost art, even though we talked about books, but we're mm. a rare breed. Um, I want to take those 22 rules of refereeing and put it on podcast form. So um, hopefully Tyree joins me when I do read those out and then we'll oh, talk no about doubt. it and, and color it with anecdotes. Definitely, so definitely. I'm going to have to have you as a, a recurring guest at least 22 hey, more man, times. Hey, listen, man, that would be my pleasure, Ralph. Cool. Any final words you want to say before we hey, part ways? again, Ralph, once again, thank you. I appreciate you, brother. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to those rules. All right. And you're good with Wednesday? Did you get coverage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once again, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, I, first of all, Tyree's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with Wednesday. I don't know who to call. Five seconds later, I'll call him back. He's already laughing because I was like, I already handled it. <laughs> For Tyree Kirkland, this is Ralph the Ref. My God. This is Tales from the Third Team. We out of here. Peace.